Welcome to the Rennie Podcast, a podcast about the real estate market and the people connected by it. We seek to empower our listeners to make informed decisions while providing context for the real estate world around them. We hope that with every episode, you become a little more knowledgeable and a lot more curious. Hello, everyone. I'm Justine Liu, a managing broker at Rennie, and today we're going to be shining the spotlight on our most recent intelligence publication, our fall 2022 edition of the Rennie Landscape, which is also known in the industry as the Little Red Book. For those of us who are less familiar with it, the Rennie Landscape is a semi-annual publication that our Intel team produces and tracks a variety of factors that directly and indirectly impact Metro Vancouver's housing market. Today, we're going to explore how we got to where we are today, what it means when we say it's windy, and what we know about what's ahead of us. With me today is Ryan Berlin, our Senior Economist and Director of Intelligence at Rennie, and Ryan Wise, our Senior Analyst with our Intel division. Welcome. Justine, right? It's good to be here. Mm-hmm. Good to be here. Good to be in our new setup in our new office. Yes, yeah, very exciting. It is, yeah. And then literally 10 minutes ago, the printed version of this edition of the Rennie Landscape just dropped actually happened i know and fresh off the very press. exciting yes very right exciting. in front of us here mm-hmm. new location new landscape so before we get started let's talk about what the rennie landscape is let's do that yeah so the rennie landscape was you know as a concept was born four years ago um and it was born out of this idea that there's an increasing amount of data out there on everything including our housing market you know we were you know we knew then and we know even more now about sales and listings and prices, but it really begged the question, if those are the what's of the market, what about the why's? So, you know, why are sales going up? Why are prices mm-hmm. doing what they're doing? And really all of that stuff is related to factors that are largely outside of the housing market. Things like demographic change and economic evolutions, um, labor market dynamics that are prevailing at a certain point in time, trends in financial markets. And so we thought we would just we should be evaluating those things maybe a little bit more formally and 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 bringing them together a couple of times a year and that's that's where the landscape comes from mm-hmm. um, and and uh, you know we found it to be very useful as a contextual piece understanding what is impacting our market and it's interesting like the way that we consume information these days these days um, <laughs> increasingly I think is uh, it's when we're on the go, right? We're doing other things like we're watching TV or exercising or we're cooking or cleaning or hanging out with our kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're always doing other things. So to get our attention, you know, news outlets and anybody who wants you to consume what they're providing or what they're saying is, um, you know, having it come at you, you know, fast and furiously, right? Um, and so we're inundated with statistical tidbits and headlines. And that's often how a lot of us sort of gain some semblance of understanding of the world around us. Um, but, you know, headlines are called headlines because they give us headlines, <laughs> lines in our head. Um, it's often there'll be dramatic statements, incomplete statements. And for a lot of people, that is what sort of um, supports, you know, a particular perspective on a, on a, on a topic. And what we do at Rennie and, and, broadly and then within the intelligence team is really try to avoid disseminating that type of information. So, mm-hmm. you know, as a research team here at Rennie um, and for this company that operates within the real estate space in Metro Vancouver, we're, we're, we really strive to produce objective, you know, as unbiased as possible uh, research um, into what is happening in our market so that we just collectively gain a better understanding. And all of that kind of culminates 
every six months in this in this rainy landscape. That's great. So when I look all around, you know, we see so much that's going on in our economy and our housing market these days. How did we get to where we are right now? Yeah, <laughs> it's been a trip. So yeah. uh, two and a half years after the pandemic started, um, and I'm happy to be doing podcasts that aren't centered around COVID and the pandemic and how it's impacting us. But yeah. that has really informed our journey to this point, right? Yeah. So. Um, Certainly, it's not one thing that has brought us to where we are right now. It's many things. The pandemic, which came out of the blue, which really no one predicted with any kind of, um, you know, headway, um, sort of landed in our laps and had a lot of lasting repercussions for us. Um, so it wasn't it wasn't just one thing that brought us to where we are today. It was many things, right? There was COVID, obviously, and the associated lockdowns and shutdowns and the like. Um, but we have had, there's all kinds of, we've had supply chain disruptions, uh, weather, you know, has even come into play. Uh, last year, mm -hmm. last summer, we had this atmospheric river mm -hmm. that, never heard of that term before, that uh, <laughs> became very familiar, came through BC and caused major flooding throughout the province, disrupted supply chains mm -hmm. on top of the disruptions that already existed into the Fraser Valley, but even... I think out to the Shushwap Rye where you have a cabin, mm -hmm. you were saying that to this day, two of the bridges are still closed. Yeah, they're not even closed, they're gone. The, the oh. two bridges on the Copenhagen are still missing. <laughs> right, they're gone. They're, they're gone. working night and day to fix them, but they're not there right now. Yeah, so you know, fortunately, a lot of what was ailing us during the depths of COVID is, is largely in the rear view mirror, but there's some sort of legacies effect of the pandemic. Um, and I think one of the most prominent of those is this persistently high, very high inflation mm -hmm. um, that we're all experiencing. And, you know, that comes from a few different places. Um, you know, obviously, governments were supporting households and businesses through the very worst part of the pandemic to make sure we got to the other side, knowing that, you know, the worst of it was probably going to be temporary. So how do we make sure everyone can get through this to the other side together? And we knew there might be some repercussions of essentially printing money. Now we're starting to see some of that, but that yeah. wasn't the only thing because supply chains were disrupted to the to an extent that um, we didn't anticipate that we'd still be talking about this two and a half years later. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, interest rates were driven to rock bottom levels. The Bank of Canada took it down, took their policy rate down to effectively zero percent. And then they engaged in um, something called quantitative easing, where essentially they drove longer term interest rates down as well. And that's where, you know, we got to see the, the, the five year fixed mortgage rate of, mm -hmm. you know, one point five, one point six percent sort of middle or early of early 2021. Um, so now we're dealing with inflation around 7%, certainly not just a Canadian phenomenon. We're seeing it all around the world, but it is something that we're trying to collectively, um, tackle. And, and so with high inflation and rising interest rates and the housing market slowing down and all eyes on the labor market, um, you know, the, the, the winds in the, in the economy and the housing market are definitely swirling right now. And it feels pretty stormy out there. So was that metaphor you had uh, about a plane in the storm? I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, this is something that was conceived of in in the heat of the moment uh, over dinner after a glass of wine when thinking about um, the real estate market. You know, when there's a big storm, planes might be okay to fly through the storm, right? To get where they're going, to endure a little bit of turbulence, mm -hmm. knowing they'll get to the other side. But when there's a big storm, planes may not be as inclined to take off, 
right? So you go, how does that relate to our market? Well, I think right now it's very stormy out there. If you are um, an existing homeowner, if you're a developer who is currently in the midst of selling um, uh, homes and a project that you plan to build in the future, or if you're actually building uh, homes now, you know, you're, you're trying to push through this to get to the other side, right? So you're flying through the storm and you're enduring the turbulence. But I think if you were somebody or you are somebody who's thinking about making that, you know, once in a lifetime purchase, like buying a home or even selling, if you're, yeah. you know, maybe you're downsizing for the only time in your life and you want to get it right. Um, uh, or if you're a developer who is, who is thinking about, um, you know, uh, launching a project into this market, maybe now is not the time. And we are seeing that. We're seeing some delayed participation for sure. So that's some context for how we got here, but where is here and how could you characterize the current landscape? You know, it's windy. I think we're talking about it's windy out there. Back to the storm analogy. Um, and we can't really, uh, we can't sum up our current environment with a single headline or a single stat or easily. Um, there's a lot of different sort of swirling winds around that we like to talk about headwinds and tailwinds and how they affect our market. But there's all sorts of crosswinds. Things are changing really quickly. It's like we're in the eye of a storm. Um, and plenty has changed in the last six months since we did the spring landscape. So uh, it seems like there's quite a few turbulence <laughs> down the way, but can you elaborate a little bit more on this? Yeah, sure. Let's let's bring a few examples to this. And I think, you know, we really should start with our, our labor market. I think when people think about how they interact with the economy, it always starts with a labor market. Um, and we have a very tight labor market today. Uh, we have a very low unemployment rate nationally at 5.4%, locally at 4.8%. That's historically quite mm -hmm. low. People who want to work typically are finding jobs in this market. Uh, and that's a really a tailwind for our market. It's a really positive thing. But once again, I think this, this headline number, it doesn't tell the whole story of what we're dealing with here. We also need to look at things like the job vacancy rate. Um, and this is kind of a, a relatively new stat that StatsCan started only tracking back in 2015. So we don't have a huge sort of historical series to go with it. Um, but we're at a record high for job vacancies, both nationally in Canada, here in BC. Um, so we looked at this ratio of how many vacant jobs there are to how many unemployed people are looking for work right now. And that ratio in BC is up to 1.35, which means there's way more job openings than yeah. workers. Um, so here in BC, that's about four jobs for every three people looking for work, uh, which I think is pretty telling. Yeah, I mean, there's so many different ways you can slice this, right? So yeah, another way to look at it is that if every single unemployed person in this province right now took one of those unfilled jobs, there would still be 46,000 unfilled positions across the province. So, you know, yeah. no matter what way you slice it, we have this like this imbalance in terms yeah. of labor like supply and demand. Yeah, when yeah. you put it into context like that, you can really see the big picture and, and it's more clear. Yeah, I mean, it's and the thing is, the, the vacancy rate is very high across the board, but it's uneven across sectors and that's having differential impacts on sectors. The construction industry, for example, has a vacancy rate, a job vacancy rate of over 10%, which is, I mean, mm -hmm. it's great that the intention is there to hire, but the positions aren't being filled. And that is that is in turn driving up wages. So we're seeing wages currently go up on a year over year basis by 3.2% in the construction industry, which may not sound a lot like a lot compared to inflation, mm -hmm. but it's a relatively elevated value. Yeah. Yeah. There could also be some other sort of incentives that employers are offering to sort of entice people to come work as, as they are having trouble hiring. We're looking at this work from home data. Um, 
the big topic is, do people go back to the office or the workplace? Do they keep yeah. working from home? Um, and most people nationally actually aren't able to work from home. It's about 57% of Canadians can't work from home, but it's much lower in BC. A lot more people have the flexibility in BC to work from home. So maybe that's an example of these, these employers trying to fill these vacant jobs and making it, mm -hmm. uh, offering a little bit more flexibility here in BC. So about 52% can't versus 57% nationally. That's very interesting. Of course, what everyone seems to want to be talking about these days is inflation and interest rates. So can we talk more about that? Yeah, sure. So uh, Berlin was talking about sort of that headline inflation um, and some of the effects of the COVID monetary policy. Um, but I think, again, that sort of headline inflation, which is 7% year over year, very high. Um, but that's not really the only thing to watch here. As, as inflation brings up interest rates, I think there's a lot more to look at again when we talk about interest rates. There's still about two thirds of Canadians have fixed rate mortgages versus mm -hmm. variable. Um, and when we look at what they're up against, they're sort of anyone who say bought five years ago, who's coming up for renewal, um, they're facing a really big increase in their, their potential interest rate. So if you sort of look at the average, it's about two percentage points higher today than it was five years ago for somebody to renew, mm -hmm. assuming they're sort of taking the same term and amortization and sort of that all else being equal, that 2% increase. But the good news for them, that much maligned stress test, um, actually they were stress tested five years ago to a yeah. rate slightly higher than what they're mm -hmm. facing today. So they're facing that sort of sticker shock, um, but it's something that they've already sort of built in as a, a contingency plan. They've been forced to build that in. So hopefully um, people can actually make those payments and they can just renew uh, without, you know, having too much trouble with them. Um, I think that's yeah. a really good point. Sorry, just yeah. the, that, you know, we, we were watching, we track that five, we're so aware at a given point in time of what that five-year fixed mortgage rate is, but just because it went from, you know, 1.5, 1.6, um, you know, in the spring of 2021 to over five today, there aren't, there isn't anyone who renewed at that low rate for five years and is now renewing at this higher rate with that kind of a spread. So definitely rates are higher to Ryan's points, but to Ryan's point, but we have to look back five years from today and mm -hmm. consider those interest rates that were, were on existing or expiring contracts and what people are renewing at. And I think that's where, and then considering as well that, you know, for those on the five-year fixed terms, you know, roughly 20% of them are renewing in a given year. So there's a, there's a little bit of a buffer, not saying this isn't painful, but this, mm -hmm. this notion of like homeowners flying through the turbulence right now, you sort of hunker down and um, on the other end, you hope that interest rates aren't as high as they are now. Yeah, and you hope that your income rose in the last five years and it's a little bit easier to make those <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yes, let's hope that. And I think just uh, referencing back to our previous podcast that you just did, the Intel one, mm -hmm. I think Ryan did a really great example of uh, breaking down what that those costs might look like for the rising interest. So oh, on the variable yeah, rate side. Yeah, on the variable yeah. rate side. So that's uh, interesting. So. For those listening who want to take a <laughs> take a listen as to what Ryan's um, example was, that that's a really great, interesting listen as well. Yeah, that's a good point about fixed versus variable. Um, another thing we should probably keep in mind is that more Canadians are choosing fixed or sorry variable rate mortgages than they ever have before. So um, today, for outstanding mortgage dollars, uh, about thirty three percent are variable. So it's still the minority, but that's up from eighteen percent pre pandemic. So almost a doubling of variable rate mortgages in the marketplace right now is proportion of the total. Um, and again, another way we can look at this from 2017 to early 2021, about 20% of new mortgages were variable. And then from early 2021 to today, 
that's now 49%. So more than doubling uh, the proportion of new mortgages in the last couple of years uh, have been variable. And year to date, there's actually more variable rate mortgages advanced um, than fixed rate mortgages. Mm -hmm. So it's a bigger, uh, a bigger amount of mortgage dollars out there are variable. And we know that variable rate holders feel the impact of every single increase mm -hmm. from the Bank of Canada mm -hmm. uh, almost immediately. Their banks usually pass it on within a day. Um, and so we know that they have to spend more money on interest every month. The cost of servicing their debt increases with every rate increase. Yeah, so speaking of debt service, how are those numbers looking? Yeah, so I mean, the, the good news, if there is any on the sort of debt front and the debt service front is that um, debt service ratios have been increasing. A debt service ratio is just a proportion of your disposable income mm -hmm. that you need to service existing debts you have. So some of the, those debts might be your mortgage, but then you also might have non-mortgage debt and they kind of break it into two buckets. Um, so the overall debt service ratio in Canada um, is just under 14%. So 14% of disposable income is being spent or being directed towards servicing debts. Um, it's actually, it's, it's up a little bit recently, but it's down, it's still down from where it was six months ago. Um, and the debt service ratio for mortgages is, it's relatively elevated, but it is below the previous peak, um, that we saw from a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the non, you know, interestingly, the non-mortgage debt service ratio is actually, um, near a 20 year low. So, you know, Canadians like through the pandemic with built the, the building up of household savings um, and not having places to spend their money, you know, as a collective, um, we're paying down some of those other mm -hmm. those other debts and put themselves in a fair as you know, as a group, we put ourselves in a pretty good financial position. Yeah. And another one we can look at is the mortgage arrears rate, which is essentially the number of mortgage holders out there that are 90 days late paying their mortgages. Um, and in BC, that's 0.11%. 11 out of every 10,000 mortgage holders in BC are 90 days late. And this rate has actually been falling. Um, this is down from last year. It's down from a few months ago. Um, though we should point out this is kind of a lagging indicator because it takes mm -hmm. you know 90 days for it to show up in the stats. Um, but this is definitely one of those positive signs, one of those um, tailwinds for our market. Um, so I think just to kind of put this all together, it's sort of, um, you know, we, what, what should we take away? It's that headlines really aren't everything. Um, there's so much going on at the moment. We don't have to pretend to have all the answers, um, but we really want to emphasize, you know, how important it is to consider really a wide array of, of different signals in our economy and our housing market, mm -hmm. what they're telling us, where they're pointing us, because they're really pointing us <laughs> in, you know, various directions all over the place. And so mm -hmm. we need to sort of evaluate each one and kind of put them all together. So if we're being pointed in so many different directions, what are things that we really should be keeping an eye on? Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I think we really should be watching the same things that the Bank of Canada is watching. You know, almost everyone is watching the yeah. Bank of Canada right now. What are they going to do? What are they going to do on October 27th? What are they going to do in December? What are they going to do in 2023? But let's watch what they're watching. Um, they're watching the data. So are we. So what are the things that they're really focusing on? Um, there are the same things that we're sort of looking at in the rainy landscape. So the things that are impacting our wider economy, um, some really important ones they're watching is not just headline inflation, it's core inflation measures. So there's three core inflation measures. They're called core, uh, common, trim, and median. And um, they essentially, what they do is they sort of strip away outliers, um, those, those 
things that really fluctuate a lot in price. And they, mm -hmm. they look at sort of the more stable goods and services to see what's, what's happening with the more stable prices uh, any month to month. And those only just started to fall month to month uh, in August. So they're watching that. They're watching inflation expectations. Um, and that can signal uh, the potential for inflation to become entrenched. Uh, inflation expectations are incredibly high right now. 78% of Canadian businesses expect inflation above 3% for the next couple of years. That's doubled in the last year. That's far above what the Bank of Canada wants. So they're watching that. And then I think the other big one that they, they really want to watch is the labor market. Um, so, you know, we really we can't put enough emphasis that the labor market's in a good place today. Overall, unemployment's really low. It's pretty tight out there, but there are issues with job vacancies um, that can translate into higher wages, which again is mostly a good thing for people, but it can feed into inflation. Yeah. It's sort of, there's a bit mm -hmm. of that give and take. Um, and so I think overall, uh, what are we keeping on? Well, the, yeah, what, I think the Bank of Canada will do another rate hike on October 27th. Why do I think that? Well, they told us that's what they were going <laughs> to do. You know, I'm not looking into a crystal ball here. Yeah. Um, and so, I, you know, that I think that's something to expect. And, you know, there's a few other things to keep an eye on as well. For sure. Yeah, I think we can expect rising rates at least through the balance of this year. But you, you, you talked about um, the labor market. Um, we've talked about unemployment and how low it is. Um, that's another really that's something else we're going to watch because there's a there is a an empirical relationship between like an observed relationship over time uh, between the unemployment rate in, in this market and the amount of housing inventory or housing supply. And so essentially the way it goes is when the unemployment rate declines, so does inventory. When the unemployment rate rises, inventory rises. And, you know, the most plausible explanation for that really is that you're going to see rising supply, more homes available uh, for sale um, when there are fewer people engaged in the labor market, when people when fewer people are working than is ideal. So if you, yeah. you know, if your income stream runs out, you know, you're, you might be inclined to try to get out. You might pay off other debts first or, 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 or I should say sell off other assets first. Yeah. Um, but at some point, you may be forced to sort of get out from underneath your existing mortgage. And so you know, to the extent that we do see the unemployment rates start to rise, we could see housing supply rise. And that'll, that could translate into a protracted period of, um, you know, softened prices. I think we could use, we could use more supply. We're still 20, I think we're 20% below yeah. what is typical for this time of year. And it's mm -hmm. kind of been that way for months and months. Um, but that is something that might signal a, a more drawn out uh, downturn in our market. So certainly something we're watching. And then in the new year, there's a slew of, pol of government policies coming into play. Mm -hmm. When the market gets overheated like it did over the past year and a half, and like we've seen in the past, governments feel inclined to do something about it. So there's a slew of policies that are coming into effect in the new year. Uh, one of them is a, a foreign buyer ban. I called it a tax in <laughs> earlier discussions. Um, but the federal government will be banning foreign buyers. So that is, it's a bit of a different definition of a of foreign buyer than we have here in BC currently, where foreign buyers are taxed. But there's so many exemptions to it. It's such a narrow definition. It's not really going to move the market at all. Um, it's more closing a loophole, if anything. Mm -hmm. um, we also have in BC uh, a cooling off period that's coming into play that essentially really only applies to situations where there's a subject free offer that is made. So if there's a lot of demand for one particular home, a lot of competition, you know, emotions get involved and people sometimes do do something like they shouldn't do or that they regret later, i.e. put it in a subject free offer that they can't turn their back on. 
And so this just gives individual buyers a little bit of breathing room. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think that's a, something to applaud at the sort of individual buyer level, but it, not going to move the market. And then, you know, lastly, federally, there's um, there's an there's an anti-flipping tax that's being implemented as well, which basically seeks to discourage um, investors essentially from buying a home um, and then just reselling it within a 12 month period, taking away or eating up uh, an opportunity for somebody who mm-hmm. would like to live in that home. Again, uh, to buy a lot it. of exemptions on that one. Totally. So a lot of things that you just discussed right now. Uh, you know, apply to more of the immediate term, but what about the long term? Yeah, and this is where I think we're going to sort of repeat ourselves from last time. When it comes to the longer term outlook of this market, a lot hasn't really changed. And Mm -hmm. I think we sort of see the fundamentals as still being the same ones that we saw six months ago. And I think that always starts here with immigration. Um, International immigration to Canada is incredibly strong this year. Um, The federal government has increased targets to make up for shortfalls in 2020. Last year was a record year for international migrants, not just in terms of permanent residents, um, but in all different categories of, of new international migrants. So we have six months worth of data so far this year, which is almost 700,000 newcomers for context. Last year, the whole year was 1.3 million, a record year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and potentially we're on pace, if you do the math, most migrants actually come in the second half of the year, especially students in September. So if you look at the math on, on historical context, we're potentially on pace for 1.8 million additions to Canada, which is incredibly high number. And again, a, a huge amount choose to live here in Metro Vancouver and in BC. Uh, and again, that, that really speaks to the longer term demand in this marketplace. For, and yeah, and I think it's worth pointing out too that the reason that Canada is seeking um, so many newcomers and you know, welcoming them with open arms is um, to help sort of grow the economy and allow Canada to continue to prosper. We have a, a significantly aging population and an increasing number of retirements every year as the baby boomers yeah. exit the labor market. Look at those job vacancies. Right? Yeah, yes. totally. And then, but anybody who comes here also needs to be housed. So there has to be mm-hmm. some kind of balance that we need to find. Um, but we certainly have a lot of people arriving. And then also, right, we were looking at um, net interprovincial migration. Mm-hmm. We've been tracking it since the beginning of the pandemic. And when we look at net flows, so the, the total number of people coming to BC minus the number of people leaving, we're close to 60,000 people from other parts of Canada, mm-hmm. which may not mean a lot on its own, but the second largest recipient on a net basis of domestic migrants in the country is Nova Scotia <laughs> with 24,000. Mm-hmm. So we are just welcoming people from, and attracting people, I should say, from not just you know, across Canada, of course, but around the world. Um, and we just, we need to figure out a way to provide the housing for them. Mm-hmm. So as we look ahead and like specifically to the longer term, we're not soothsayers. And I like, <laughs> boy, economists are terrible predictors of things. And if we made a hundred predictions here today, we'd be wrong about 75 of them. Um, but as we look out over the years and decades ahead, you look at sort of the demographic foundation that this region is built on and the expectations for growth and then the historically strong economy and labor market, which is just continuing to expand. Um, we feel really we feel really good about the prospects for prosperity very generally in this region going forward. Mm-hmm. That's great. Uh, real great insight. So I guess in order for us to get more information, we need to get our hands on this, this little red book, eh? Absolutely. <laughs> Definitely. So today on the podcast, we talked about how we got to where we are today. 
what it means when we say it's windy, and what we know about what's ahead. This wraps up this episode of the special fall 2022 landscape edition of the Rennie podcast. To dig deeper into the data, be sure to check out the Rennie landscape on rennie.com intelligence. Be the first to receive this information straight to your inbox and register for intelligence updates. Thank you, Ryan Berlin, Ryan Wise again for your time today. I'm looking forward to chatting with you again soon for the spring 2023 landscape that will come out um, next year. Mm-hmm. Thanks, so Justine. Thanks, Justine. Thank Thanks, you. Ryan. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah. Awesome. The Rennie Podcast is a Rennie production and is recorded on the unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh Nations. Thank you for joining us. If you'd like to learn more, All resources mentioned in the episode can be found on rennie.com.